Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, hello, everyone. This is Rob Wolf, and welcome to episode number 76 of Unfermetable, where we take a look at some of the less heralded players in our beloved franchise's quirky history. As to us, every player who dons the orange and blue is in some way unfermetable. Well, I went heavy on the baseball books this winter, uh, first reading Lords of the Realm, which was a truly engrossing history of baseball's labor disputes uh, by John Hilliar, uh, written in the 90s, so kind of just up to and including the 94 World Series cancellation and the aftermath of that. Uh, But it was really a splendid and exhaustive book on baseball's labor history that I strongly recommend. It also made me sad that I had already done a Claudel Washington Unformidable, as I was surprised how prominently his contract and free agent signing was uh, <clears throat> looked at as one of the major problems, uh, a, a middling player, I guess, getting uh, superstar-type money. And Ted Turner at the time kind of rivaled George Steinbrenner as a hated owner. At any rate, I just remembered being six years old and being sad that the one talented young player the Mets had actually just acquired for half a season was already gone. But after some real fiction reading, I had to turn to another baseball book to kick off the season, as is tradition. 
or personal tradition at any rate. Uh, so I read a book my friend got me for Christmas this year called When Shea Was Home by Britt Topol. Uh, not an exhaustive Shea or Mets history, as the title kind of portends. Uh, its main focus is the 1975 season, when, due to the two-year renovation of Yankee Stadium, Shea served as the home for each of the Mets, Yankees, Jets, and Giants for the entire year. And yes, it was a two-year renovation, but in 74, the Giants used the Yale Bowl in Connecticut as their home stadium while they were awaiting the Meadowlands opening. So while 74 is covered in the book, it really focuses exclusively on 75. Well, largely, not exclusively. I'll spare you the rest of the book review, uh, or, you know, maybe I'll throw some more in at the end. But in addition to being a testament to the skill of longtime Mets groundskeeper, lead head groundskeeper Pete Flynn, who was probably one of the hardest working people in New York that year, uh, the book also reminded me of a memorable game in Mets history for a very unformidable type of player. Uh, in very Mets fashion, uh, in 1975, in August, a little-known, overlooked, one-season-only hurler looked to be on the verge of an unexpected and historic first no-hitter in franchise history, only to promptly lose the no-hitter, the game and perhaps indirectly or almost directly end Yogi Berra's tenure as Mets manager. So let's say come on down to this week's subject, the unformidable Randy Tate. So Randall Lee Tate was born on October 3rd, 1952 in Florence, Alabama. A true Alabama lad, he was born there, uh, eventually, very recently in fact, passed away there and grew up there, attended Lexington High School in Florence, where he was a top athlete in multiple sports, and he was drafted by the New York Mets in the fifth round of the 1972 January draft out of Calhoun Community College in Decatur, Alabama. The 19-year-old had a rough entry into professional ball. Uh, he went to the Appalachian League in rookie ball, where he went 0-9 with a 6 ERA, uh, he over his 60 innings, uh, he threw he walked 54 and struck out 60, uh, also throwing 20 wild pitches over those 60 innings. Uh, he was a lanky left-hander who could throw pretty hard, but as those stats might indicate, was pretty wild. His fastball control was average at best, but getting his curveball over consistently was a huge challenge for Tate. And frankly, those walk-to-strikeout numbers would never truly improve, or not dramatically, which probably explains his brief career. In 1973 in A-ball, he walked 88 and struck out 82. Uh, he would go 4-10 and 10 that year, uh, but his first victory would be memorable. He would, in fact, throw that no-hitter that barely eluded him in the majors. Uh, it was a 7-inning no-hitter, though. Uh, his first professional win, June 8th, uh, 2 nothing no-hitter, in which he walked 5 and struck out 7 over 7 innings, uh, and what I presume was a doubleheader, uh, assuming those were the minor league rules back then as well. In 1974, when in both Topol's book and real life, the Yankees were invading our beloved Shea Stadium for the first of two seasons, Tate would split his season between single-A and triple-A. Uh, he was working hard with pitching coach Billy Connors to try and gain better control of his curveball with 
mixed results. Uh, his ERA and one loss record improved greatly, but he was still prone to bouts of wildness as his 158 walks to 172 strikeouts over 176 innings in his two stops in 74 would attest. Tate did have one big fan in the Mets organization, though, and that was an important one in manager Yogi Berra. Tate pitched in an exhibition game between the Tides and the Mets and allowed only two hits over seven innings and impressed Berra greatly with his live arm. Tate then joined the Mets in an exhibition tour that the team made of Japan after the 1974 season uh, and again impressed manager Berra, who stated during the tour that the 22-year-old was going to be a hell of a pitcher. And Barra pretty much had it in mind, uh, according to what I could read, that Tate should be targeted for the 1975 rotation, uh, even though he had only 17 innings of experience above a ball at that point. And a live arm Tate may have had, but Dwight Gooden he was not. Now, the, uh, the Mets had followed up their you-gotta-believe pennant run in 1973 with an incredibly disappointing... 71 and 91 fifth place finish in 74. After that season, the team traded away Tug McGraw, who did have a tough 74 season, and tried to supplement their offense to bolster a pitching staff still led by Seaver, Kuzman, and Matlack. Uh, they brought in Dave Kingman, which was a pretty successful, although of course all or nothing, addition to the offense, and less successfully an aging faded, formerly great hitter in Joe Torre. Uh, but as was already starting to be embedded in the franchise's DNA, the team would go as far as its pitching would take it. Uh, and that top trio was strong, but there wasn't a, much depth. And as mentioned, Barra really did favor Tate. Uh, so the 22-year-old pretty much was installed as fourth starter ahead of swingman George Stone and Hank Webb. Uh, for a team that, while coming off a tough season, was, you know, one year removed from the NL pennant and definitely had hopes of contending again. Uh, So to an extent, Barra probably was going into the season in a bit of a hot seat uh, and with some expectations attached to the team. Not to say his fate was inextricably tied with Tate's, but uh, he certainly put a lot of faith in the young man. And it looked like a pretty good move early, uh, making his Major League debut on April 14th of 1975 in the team's fifth game of the season. Tate held a strong Phillies offense scoreless through the first seven and two-thirds innings of his outing. Uh, He took a 3-0 lead into the eighth inning and retired the first two batters, uh, but in a bit of an eerie precursor to his lost no-hitter. Uh, It all went away very quickly. In quick succession, Tate surrendered a walk, a double, and then a home run to Greg Luzinski that tied up a game. The Mets would go on to lose on a Mike Schmidt home run in the bottom of the ninth, dropping the team to 1-4 on the young season. Uh, Still, uh, Tate did complete eight innings, uh, three runs, three walks, and seven strikeouts, and a no decision that... You know, would have to stand as a pretty strong debut for a young 22-year-old lefty. And obviously, that was the 70s and not today, and 
you know, you don't get to the eighth inning with a perfect game these days, much less a, uh, a shutout. But even in the standards of those days, uh, perhaps Yogi pushed the young starter too far, making his major league debut. Uh, and again, it would not be the last time Yogi would seem to leave Tate in a bit too long. Uh, but the next time we will talk about would indeed be the last time, at least for Yogi. Making his second start uh, a few days later, Tate would go six scoreless against the Chicago Cubs, April 20th, earning the first of his five career Major League wins. Uh, he did walk five and strike out only two in the game, however. As the 75 season progressed, uh, like you would expect from most young pitchers, uh, Tate was very up and down. Uh, after those first two very impressive starts, he would lose three in a row, including a inning and a third five-run debacle to the Houston Astros. But still in all, through June 28th, uh, perhaps the high watermark of his career numbers, uh, his record was only three and six, uh, but Tate had his, was pitching to a 3.22 ERA, uh, culminating on that June 28th with a complete game, uh, one of two he recorded in his career, uh, where he was victorious over the Phillies 5-2. to two. For the franchise, uh, the victory moved the Mets to 36-32, and 32, uh, only four and a half games behind the first-place Pittsburgh Pirates, and third place and only a game and a half behind the Phillies for second. The Mets would kind of just tread water through July, and Tate would pitch a lot worse, though. He would, uh, by the end of that month, he would have fallen to a record of 4-9, and nine, uh, so going 1-3 and three in the month, uh, but his ERA leapt from 3.22 to 4.64 uh, after another, uh, one, this time one and two-third inning, outing against the Cardinals on July 30th, in which he got bombed again. Uh, the Mets, of course, lost that game, and that dropped them to 53 and 48, so still a little above 500. Uh, but the Pirates were beginning to surge, and the team found themselves nine games behind Pittsburgh, going into a pretty crucial five-game series against the Pirates. And while the Mets got off to a great start in that series, winning the first three games, uh, bringing themselves to uh, six behind, six out of first place, and reaching perhaps a peak above 500 on the season of 56 and 48, uh, they would close out the series by getting swept in a doubleheader to drop back to 56 and 50, eight games behind the Pirates. So perhaps the letdown of that didn't help, but uh, still hoping to hang on in the edges of contention there. The Mets came back to Shea to face the Montreal Expos after that big five-game series, Re returning home to take on the Montreal Expos on Monday, August 4th, 1975, uh, when Randy Tate would flirt with a little Mets history. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, 
This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Tate was on from the start in that game. He struck out 10 batters over the first five innings, including burgeoning Expo star Gary Carter twice. The occasionally wild young pitcher had allowed only one walk, uh, but no hits through those five innings. Unfortunately for him, for the first four innings at least, Tate was almost completely matched by future Mets pitching coach Dan Warthen, who was the Expo starter that day and who was able to match him pretty nicely through four innings, uh, where the Mets had only one hit through. But they broke through for three runs in the fifth off of in the bottom of the fifth against Wharton, uh, largely on the strength of a Gene Klein's triple, uh, with a little help from an error. Uh, only two of the runs were earned, uh, but that staked the team and Tate to a 3 nothing lead. Tate kept the Expos hitless through the next two innings, but his command began to fade, uh, as he did walk three more batters over the 6th and 7th innings. Still, with the score still 3-0 in the top of the 8th, uh, Tate came out to the Shea Mound to try and complete the no-hitter and started the inning with his 13th strikeout of the night of Jose Morales. But the next batter, Jim Little, came in to pinch hit for the pitcher and stroked a single to left, to leave Tate with seven and a third hitless innings and erase any hopes of history for young Tate or for a franchise first no-hitter. The next batter was Pepe Mangual, who Tate promptly walked, uh, putting the tying run, bringing the tying run up to the plate in the form of Carter, uh, and that brought Barra out to the mound. Uh, Tate was young, according to reports, uh, you know, seemed to be tiring, and the Mets were, of course, still in the pennant race, but Tate stayed in to face Carter, who ripped a single to left to cut the score to 3-1. to one. Uh, If people thought Tate was getting the hook before Carter, they likely thought he would now, with the go-ahead run coming to the plate. Uh, but the only vote that mattered didn't go along with that plan. Perhaps playing the lefty-lefty percentages, Barra left Tate in to face Mike Jorgensen, who... Launched a three-run homer to right center. Uh, so now, in the span of four batters, the no-hitter, and then the lead were gone for the Mets. After the game, asked about not pulling him, uh, Barra said, I was going to give him one more batter. What are the odds of a guy hitting a home run like that? Don't blame the kid for the home run. Blame me if you're going to blame someone. And it would seem that someone in the Mets front office took Barra at his word, uh, the following day, the Mets were swept by the Expos in a doubleheader by identical 7 nothing scores, and after that day and those two games, Barra was fired as Mets manager. Perhaps not a direct result of the Tate game, but certainly didn't help. Barra's replacement, Roy McMillan, apparently didn't have the same belief in Tate that Barra did. Uh, he did start a couple of more games. Uh, ironically, uh, the 
Next, the, the last one he started was a complete game victory over the Padres on August 26th, which actually marked Tate's fifth and final career win. But after that game, he was moved to the bullpen and rarely used down the stretch in September, getting one final start in the penultimate game of the season, uh, which would ultimately be his last Major League appearance on September 27th, 1975, in which he was unfortunately matched up with Steve Carlton. Uh, Tate would only go an inning and a third, allowing three runs on one hit, walking six, and striking out three in a game in which Carlton would one-hit the Mets. Uh, Felix Mion recording the only hit and RBI double in the top of the sixth inning in the Mets' 8-1 loss to the Phillies. And it's a weird and kind of quirky thing to me. I don't know how many people have played, I mean, a full season, uh, but that being their only professional major league season. No other cups of coffee, no other, you know, lines on the back of the baseball card for Randy Tate. Just one full and complete 1975 season with the Mets. Tate played winter ball in Puerto Rico in 75 uh, and later said that he pulled a muscle there uh, working as a reliever, which uh, he thought affected him in 1976 training camp. So he had a poor camp, got assigned to AAA Tidewater, and pitched poorly there, uh, recording an ERA over six. Mets actually moved him all the way back down to Class A in 77, hoping he could regain some lost confidence and control, but um, his control actually started getting worse, uh, so he really never got back above a ball in the Mets organization. The team released him, and he latched on with the Pirates in 1978 and got as high as AAA, but uh, tore his rotator cuff, which eventually brought his career to an end at the age of 25. For his career, for that one-year Major League career, Tate was 5-13 and for the 1975 Mets with a 4.45 ERA, he appeared in 26 games, starting 23 of them, through 137 and two-thirds innings, struck out 99, walked 86. He actually had a much better FIP than uh, than ERA. He actually had a FIP of 3.89, despite a WHIP over 1.5, which I thought was a little surprising. I guess he did keep the ball in the yard and only surrendered eight home runs, including that fateful one to Jorgensen. And overall, by baseball reference war, uh, uh, Tate's career was a negative 0.7 war. Only negative 0.1 for pitching, though. Uh, If you dig a little deeper, he recorded an impressive negative 0.6 for his batting. For, I know it's 2022, and I guess we just don't talk about pitchers hitting anymore ever, ever again. But Randy Tate was historic in his hitting futility. And I guess, now that I think about it, would be a good argument for the DH. So, I digress. But Tate was a perfect, if you will, 0 for 41 as a batter in his Major League career. Uh, And in fact, if you look up most at-bats in a season without a hit by a pitcher, uh, he is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6th. Uh, all-time in futility. Uh, Bob Buell of the Cubs in 1962 was 0 for 69. Nice. 
um, Bill White, 0 for 61, Ron Herbel, 0 for 47, Carl Drews of the Cardinals in 1949, 0 for 46, Ernie Kube and Randy Tate, 0 for 41, next on that list of futility. He did, in fact, score two runs on the year, including one in the no-hitter game. Uh, he came around on the triple by Kleins after a failed sacrifice bunt attempt. But I thought that was an interesting little footnote as well. Tate returned to Alabama after his career ended. Uh, seemed to live most, if not all, of his non-baseball life there. Worked some odd jobs, including welding, and apparently became uh, very interested in gardening as a hobby and a somewhat prolific gardener from what I had read and could find, though information was limited. Uh, sadly, Tate died uh, just this March of 2021 from complications related to COVID-19 during the pandemic at the age of 68. It was an interesting book when Shea was home, certainly not my favorite Met book, in part because I didn't even fully consider it a Met book. I mean, it really led with the Yankees, which I guess is what was quirky about that season, and tried hard to kind of cover everything, including a little bit of New York and, you know, American history in 75, Watergate, uh, New York's financial issues. That at times made it feel a little all over the place for me, but it, it really was a fascinating uh, read. And, you know, I was less than a year old at the time, so it was just interesting to think that Shea Stadium hosted, I think it was 178 professional games. I mean, it'd be 162 baseball games and 16 football games, uh, basically from like April to December. It's just daunting to think of. And now that I'm thinking about it, I remember that one game in 98 uh, where the Yankees played at Shea. Uh, maybe I'm glad I did not see the Yankees playing at Shea Stadium for a full season. I might not have enjoyed that. For the Mets, 75 was the tail end of period of relevance. Uh, they're 86 and 76 in 1976, but finished well behind a dominant Phillies team uh, before, of course, the dark days of 77 to 83 would descend over Shea. But for Randy Tate, uh, 75 was a memorable year. It was the only year, even though he didn't quite complete that first no-hitter in Mets history. He was nonetheless unformidable. Thanks for taking the time to listen to Unformidable. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for more Mets-related content and follow us on the social medias. You can find this and all of our Amazon pods wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, leave a review, it helps us out. Original music by Bunga. I'm on Twitter at WolfRR, W-O-L-F-F-R-R, and the show is at Unformidable. Thank you, and as always, let's go Mets.